Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Commodity Culture, where we break down the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. Before we get started, standard disclaimer, nothing you hear today is investing advice. Do your own due diligence. And today I have my first CEO on the program. It's Galen McNamara from Suma Silver, a silver exploration company with properties in Nevada and New Mexico. Galen, welcome to the show. Hey, Jesse. Thanks very much for having me on. Absolutely. I wanted to get you on because you're a real silver bug, so you have some great insights into the silver market. But I'd like to get started by diving into your origin story. So how did you originally get involved in the silver space, and how did that lead you to becoming the CEO of Suma Silver? Yeah, that's a good question. I have to go back quite a few years here. I mean, I'm a geologist by trade. Uh, I was just doing the math the other day in my first summer when I was still a student doing exploration uh, in Canada was 2004. So uh, I'm coming up on uh, 20 years here um, in the not too distant future, which is nice. But for me, discovery has always been my thing where, you know, I've always looked for metal deposits of, of high value. And I've been lucky enough to to be on teams where we've had some pretty decent success, you know, in the gold space and the uranium space, um, where we've made some, you know, very, very, very large discoveries. And for 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 me and for a lot of people like me, I think that's like, you know, you catch the bug, you know, you get that thing that you catch that discovery bug and exploration and then it sticks with you for life. Uh, so that's kind of where I am. You know, I like making discoveries and you know, I like to think that I know how to do it now. Uh, and we've been successful. Assuming we can talk about that later. Um, and, and that's where I am. So that, you know, mixed with me being naturally entrepreneurial, I think, uh, was kind of the perfect, you know, fit for me to be the CEO of a small exploration company you know which is uh it's 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 now starting to get some traction starting to grow just based on the successes we've had um but but really that's it it's uh you know i'm probably in this for life uh one way or the other um and uh you know riding the market roller coaster as i'm sure we all are uh but at you know hey at least uh at least we we live in interesting times and and uh work in interesting markets yeah, definitely. And we'll, we'll certainly dive into SUMA a little later. I'd like to get your broader thoughts on the silver market first. So let's start with the question of what are the tailwinds you see for silver right now, the, the tailwinds that are working in silver's favor? Because there's a lot of negative sentiment out there. So, so how are you seeing the market at the moment, the, the potential advantages moving forward? You know, I see for silver, I see three main drivers. You know, I see um, silver is a new green metal. It's used a lot in solar panels and in EVs and more and more in solar panels going forward. Um, that's number one. Number two, it's a hedge against inflation, although it hasn't been yet. You know, when it when it is, it will go quickly. Uh, you know, we look at all this money printing that's gone on and, and most of the U.S. dollars in circulation have been printed since the beginning of the pandemic. And the U.S. dollar has lost 99 percent of its purchasing power in the last hundred years. You know, I see things like that, and uh, and then I look to silver. I look to precious metals and silver specifically. Uh, and then the last thing is this, you know, the global conflicts. You know, we've got. I, I think we've been. It's actually it's actually terrifying. I think we've been as close as we've been to nuclear war, certainly in my lifetime. Um, and uh, you know, all three of those things really, uh, I think, are going to push silver upwards. But when it happens, it's going to it's going to be, you know, boring, 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 boom, to, to quote a friend of mine, you know, it's going to be slowly, 
slowly, then quickly. So for me, you know, who knows when that's going to happen? But I, you know, I just keep seeing all these, all these signs that are, that are just, you know, quite bullish. So, uh, Hey, let's see how the next year goes. Yeah, there, there are definitely a lot of things working in silver's favor right now. I think people do kind of get stuck in that boring phase where they're, they're tired of waiting forever. Um, so that, that, that's certainly an issue. But like you said, when it goes, it really goes. So I do want to get to one of the main gripes of silver investors right away, which is market manipulation. This is a thing that comes up very frequently. Earlier this year, ex-JP Morgan employees were found guilty of manipulating the precious metals market between 2008 and 2016. I believe they got a $900 million fine or something, which for them is basically nothing. And um, this sort of scenario has unfolded several times now. So firstly, do you think the precious metals markets are manipulated to a degree that strongly affects the price? And if so, what will it take for that manipulation to end? Well, what's that saying? I think it's Munger that says, uh, show me an incentive and I'll show you an outcome. Well, there's seven or eight concentrated short positions by large financial institutions. Um, and, and this has been going on for 40 or 50 years, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Um, but but let me give you some information that I think puts it into perspective. Well, like the gold silver price ratio, the price, you know, between gold and silver is something like gold is is priced 85 times more than silver. So the, the price ratio is 85 to one. Well, I mean, the production ratio gold to silver produced is something like seven or eight to one. So, you know, I just wonder how that difference can be so much. It just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me, on, you know, right on the surface. Um and 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 the other thing too that is is like a big red flag for me is the the difference between the physical price and the paper price you know where the where i think we were seeing premiums like 30 40% in the last couple of months and and it's getting hard to find the physical stuff right you go on some of these websites and they're sold out of american eagles it's like okay um so you know i look at those two things and and point to the fact that you know yeah there's definitely games being played there's probably games being played in the entire market but you know, we look at at the history of of other commodities in these concentrated short positions. The most obvious example is palladium from a couple of years ago, where you know that had the same type of thing. And then you know when those positions got unwound and demand serious demand came into the market, um, the shorts the the short sellers got hung to dry. So how does it change, right? How do we change it? It's been so long, and you know I I looked at things like silver squeeze. And Wall Street Silver, you know, and and those are grassroots movements. I was actually spent a few days with with one of the guys on Wall Street Silver came to site, uh, you know, last week, and uh, it it struck me. He was telling me all about it, and it struck me just there's a, just a real sense of community there. And I think that you know that's the the start of you know how these things can break is is number one, big retail buying. Number two, the short positions deciding that they should probably unwind before they lose money and try to you know dump their trade onto someone else right because these short positions i mean you have to close the trade you have to roll them over and at the end of the day tony soprano wants his money right so um hey again it's just uh i don't want to sit here and say hey it's gonna happen tomorrow or it's gonna happen next week but you know there's a history throughout history of you know the throughout you know most recent history of you know these short positions being smashed in commodities the most recent one like i was saying being palladium that when it happens it's gonna happen quickly yeah, and when you look at all the fundamentals being so strong and the price being where it is, which I want to get to next, because we did recently see the biggest single day jump in the silver price since November of 2008. 
But of course, it has come back down again since then. I had Peter Kraut on the show recently, and he mentioned that silver is the only metal that's currently below its 1980 highs, which definitely makes it feel like an opportunity to me. So what are your thoughts on the recent price action and how undervalued silver seems to be today? Yeah, you know what? That's it, it seems we get these these spikes and then it kind of comes back down. But you know, that's just I think uh, you know, a sign of things to come and that I think during these times of, you know, all of the things that I was talking about before, you know, the industrial use, the new industrial uses, uh, the inflation pressure, the conflict pressure, that we're gonna see some serious volatility uh in commodities like silver some very serious volatility as the market and participants try to figure out you know what the paper price is actually you know valued at you know another thing you're people ask i think people think well maybe now's the time to be greedy and really back up the truck but you know my kind of feeling there is there's this old saying that pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered so uh we're in this for the long-term game right you know i'm not i'm not you know, in the in the markets or in precious metals or in silver for, you know, to buy some today and then a week later it's worth 20% more. You know, I think that's probably not the healthiest marketplace. What I would like to see is kind of a steadier, uh, a steadier appreciation, you know, as it reacts to actual fundamentals like increased demand, increased demand, decreased mine supply. You know, I think that's the ideal scenario. It hasn't been like that, but, uh, and we'll see what happens, but that's that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I think time horizon is very important, as you touched on there. I think when you alter your time horizon and the, and the expectations change along with it, silver is not a trade where you jump in and hope that it goes to the moon right away. It definitely requires patience. And that brings me to sentiment, as I touched on a little bit earlier. Um, it's at an all-time low. Like I, I have people in my comment section screaming about precious metals are a scam. I've even been accused of pushing the scam of precious metals by interviewing people about it on my show. Like, how am I benefiting from this? It's pretty funny. Um, but I personally think people, as I mentioned, have too short of a time horizon. They forget the thousands of years of history of, of silver as sound money. And are you noticing the same bearish sentiments online and, and around you? And, and do you think this is a be greedy when others are fearful moment? You mentioned it's not necessarily the time to back up the truck. Uh, so do you think there could be more downside to come before we see uh, a correction to the upside? Well, well, that's just it. You know, with the volatility being what it is, you know, it could really go either way. And, uh, you know, for me, I want to be in it. And, hey, I like I'm in it you know, way overweight. Um, that's what I'm comfortable with. Um, but but, you know, in terms of negativity, no, I'm not hearing I'm not hearing too much negativity um, from more sophisticated investors that do think long term. I'm hearing positivity. Right. So I think that people are, you know, hopefully starting to, to chip away at, at at this and potentially add more. And and, you know, I, you buy physical silver. I buy physical silver. I've never once bought physical silver and thought to myself, well, that was a mistake. No, I put it away and then I don't think about it. And it sits there and it's on a balance sheet. You know, you can adjust it with its value. But, you know, I've never once regretted it. So I just see what's going on in the world and I go, OK, you know, bad times. You know, war, inflation, new demand. And I go, all of that things make me equal. I want to own metals. So, you know, that's where I'm at with it. So silver is a very unique commodity in that it is both a monetary metal and it has a tremendous amount of industrial uses. I, I don't think a lot of people truly understand or appreciate that. Even before this push for the new green economy started, it's it's one of the most used commodities in the world. So how much do you think 
the the new green economy and this push for a carbon neutral future is going to really affect the demand for for silver moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think substantially, I think nobody really understands the amount of silver that's needed for um, for us to to increasingly tap zero carbon energy sources. Um, I heard some numbers the other day that were uh, and, and that were you know absolutely surprising. But I mean, even let's go back like twenty years. You know, remember when silver was used in photography for developing photos? You know, and that stopped, and everyone went digital, and then all of a sudden, you know. It, it was going to be a big problem for silver demand and that was going to have a big effect on it. But here we are a few years later and now there's new applications for silver that use that conduct that electrical conductivity of it. Um, the most important, I think, being solar panels uh, and EVs. So I read a report from the IEA, the International Energy Agency, um, that I think was done in 2020 or 2021, saying that by 2030, now right now, well, right now, silver uses an industrial Solar panels, excuse me, uh, use about 10% of silver produced globally every year. So somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million ounces or perhaps a little under that or a little over that, depending on what you know you believe the total production numbers are. But by 2030, that should increase to 30%. So, I mean, you're looking at a threefold increase in the next you know, five, six, seven years, whatever, um, which like that's very substantial. But that even probably underestimates it because there's these new there's there's new solar panel technologies coming out now. There's two um, that are really being adopted now. First in China, uh, I think one's called Topcon. Uh, if if you if you know you want to Google that Topcon, where this type of solar panel uses you know substantially more silver than the last one, and then it's double sided, so you can get some reflectance if you're in the desert. You can get some reflectance off the sand. Yeah, you know, which of course makes a bunch of sense, right? That's easy. So instead of, you know, th these numbers that say, hey, you know, the IEA is saying, hey, you know, it's going to triple demand for silver for solar panels is going to triple in the next five years. You know, instead of that, you know, it's actually going to be way more because the new solar panels use double or triple the silver. So it could be very, very substantial. And where this all this silver is going to come from, you know, who knows? I guess that's for, for you know, geologists to try to find more. Uh, that's number one. And then and then the other thing, of course, is the electric vehicles, where a little bit of silver goes into every electric vehicle. And if you start thinking about large scale adoption of electric vehicles, which is happening now, I mean, you start to think that, you know, I've heard numbers as high as EVs might need you know, the entire uh, global supply of silver you know, to change to 100 percent, you know, EV, EV fleets on the road today in, the, you know, in places like not just the first world, but also in the BRICS countries. So. And you start to think about that and, and I mean, forget about the inflation stuff, forget about the conflict stuff. That right there is just so bullish in the next five, six, seven years for the metal that uh, that I, yeah, I don't I don't know where it's all going to come from. But you know, that that only should mean that the price should go up. And you keep you know, listen to people like Keith Newmeyer, who coined the term triple digit silver. When you start thinking in those terms, it it, it you know. In terms of how much is going to be needed for just for green purposes, like he started, it starts to make sense. You can start to see how people really think that silver could be that high. So silver, of course, as we touched on, has also had a huge role as money uh, throughout history. And we see a lot of problems happening with fiat currency these days. Um, it stretches way back. Some would argue Bretton Woods, some would argue when Nixon took the gold backing away from the dollar. Um, but nonetheless, we've seen a, a consistent depreciation 
of fiat currencies, including the reserve fiat currency, the U.S. dollar. Although it's performing well, um, as uh, as Lobo Tigre has said, it's it's more like the prettiest mayor at the glue factory, and uh, and we could see a, a reversal ahead for for the dominance of the dollar, particularly with the BRICS nations potentially uh, working on a, a new currency backed by either gold commodities, uh, a combination of both. But how do you see? Do you see it? being possible, we could return to sound money as a society. I imagine it would take quite some time before something like that happened. But how would you see that playing out? Because it's difficult to imagine people carrying around silver coins in their pocket. Could we maybe see a a blockchain-backed solution for precious metals or a new currency backed by precious metals in the future? Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time until that happens. But I mean, first, let's talk about, you know, fiat currencies and their depreciation over time and the US dollar losing. 99% 99% of its purchasing power in the last 100 years. Well, you know, all all fiat currencies throughout history have failed, right? They end up in that fiat graveyard, every single one. And you start thinking, and the USD has been a great example of it's lasted for so long, but I think we're seeing now with all of the inflation pressure that's happening, if you, you know, if you even believe the numbers that the Fed puts out, right, um, that we're in a, we're in a period of great instability. And and if you look back through history, you know, I think before the U.S. dollar, the Great British Pound was the was the reserve currency. And then before that, the, the Dutch currency was, you know, a reserve currency like it. So all fiats eventually die. But and then the other thing is, is that, you know, our societies and our empires and whoever has power that moves in cycles as well. And right now it's the U.S. and it's been the U.S. since the end of World War Two, arguably. Uh, which is, and you go through that time when, hey, you know, at the end of World War II, pre-Bretton Woods, you know, there was, you know, really it was, it wasn't like a, we didn't have a hard real currency in terms of we weren't trading metals, but at least the U.S. dollar was backed by metals, right? Um, and and the thing is, like like you were saying earlier, I mean, hey, look, like silver and gold have been have been currencies for five thousand years. So me, I'll put my, I'll I'll bet on those over any fiat currency in the long term. You know, of course, we have to live every day and, and we use dollars to to live in our society and Western societies. We've never been as close to nuclear war as we are now. And maybe that'll pass. I hope it'll pass. Right. And things will calm down and, and people will be sensible enough to deescalate, although we haven't seen any of that yet. But even going even deeper, I mean, as a society, there's there's fault lines that have developed between left and right and between rich and poor, where the gap between the wealthy and the poor uh, in Western society is as high as it's ever been and it's growing. This is an awful, awful sign, I think. You know, when a new generation of people who live in cities can't buy houses, that's a big problem for society. And if you look back through history, it's that when people are divided, when there's gaps between rich and poor, when, uh, you know, the the power of the main power base, you say it's the U.S., uh, yeah, it's still a little bit powerful, but I mean, you can just tell there's fault lights developing. You know, that's usually the last step before a lot of instability and a paradigm shift. And we're seeing the rise of China now, you know, the rise of Russia. You know, the, the, as Western societies, we seem to be fighting both of them, which is an awful, awful plan. But, you know, since, since and, and, I, and, and just to put it into perspective, since we normalized relations with China in the 70s, uh, we've been fighting everyone. They haven't been fighting anyone, right? So, yeah, I think with that, for I'm getting off track here, but for all of this stuff to happen and for us to go back to a, a you know, a silver standard or a gold standard, whatever, it's probably going to mean 
a lot of hardship for a lot of people that, you know, it's hard for me to put into words, but it might mean a big war. Uh, it's certainly going to mean a big shakeup, but you know, that's probably the way this is going uh, eventually. So I don't mean to be a, uh, a dark cloud, but that's kind of how I'm feeling. And again, all these stuff adds up to make me want to own precious metals. Yeah. And, and I don't think that would be, you know, casting a dark cloud. I look at that as a pretty realistic assumption. It does take a tremendous amount of pain to make a change like this in society. And although a lot of people are going to suffer in the short term, unfortunately, it's necessary because of the real artificial global economy that we're, we're living in that has been created by insane government policy. So it's unfortunate, but, but I do think it's necessary. And I do think something good will, will come of it in the end. So uh, let's pivot to Suma Silver now. I, I wanted to start, maybe give us an overview of the company for those who aren't familiar and uh, touch on your, your properties in Nevada and New Mexico. Sure, sure. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. So Suma Silver is a relatively new silver-focused exploration company or discovery company, I'll call it, with projects, high-grade silver projects in Nevada and New Mexico. And these are areas where these two projects that we're working on they were Wild West-style rush towns that really helped shape some of the early history uh, of the United States in the 1800s and early 1900s, where the project in Nevada, um, called it's, it's in a town called Tonopah, Nevada, um, produced 175 million ounces of silver and almost 2 million ounces of gold over about 50 years. Uh, and then the other one in New Mexico called Maguillon, that one was the largest historic silver producer in all of New Mexico. You know, there hasn't been any modern thinking or modern exploration in both of these districts since, you know, maybe I'm pushing 100 years before we showed up. And we just know so much na more now than they did then about how to make discoveries. So it kind of, uh, for us, it, it's just kind of we're able to skip some steps and start uh, making discoveries right away, which is what we've done. Nice. And could you uh, talk about some milestones the company has accomplished so far? And, uh, what the plans are moving forward, including any notable news flow that, that's on the horizon. Yeah, so right now in both the projects, we're in the exploration phase. So what we're doing now is just trying to quantify or see how many ounces are there. And that requires a lot of drilling. So that's what we're doing right now is that we're, we're in New Mexico drilling a lot of holes. Uh, I was just down there last week and I'm going back again tomorrow. Um, and I saw the core. I saw the, the result. I saw the visual results, I should say. Uh, and we're drilling. Uh, you know, veins that look like they have quite a bit of silver in them. So that's what we're concentrating on in the next probably year is trying to is really quantifying what we have left, but or what what could be left remaining there, excuse me. But I think I think more importantly, like bigger picture is when I was a kid in the 80s, there was a Cold War and there was an Iron Curtain. And you know, there was not much flow of goods or services between East and West. And then in the 90s we had globalization, right? And everybody was friends. And now we're back to uh, conflict and there's a new iron curtain. So for me personally and for us, you know, we are uh, we really feel that um, domestic supply of of all of the commodities, just critical metals, whatever, silver, gold, whatever, potash, uranium. I think that's very important, and we've let that go in the past little while. Uh, where now we get a lot of our critical metals from you know places that are not very good, third world dictatorships, where we export jobs to you know to places that use children to, to mine uh we export our money to to dictators uh, and we export our pollution to places that have zero environmental standards so you know I, I think that that 
working in places and mining in places like the U.S. and Canada where, you know, environmental standards are very high, employment standards are very high, is very, very important. Um, I think that's the right thing to do. So I'm very much interested in in, in working in the United States. Um, so that's kind of the big picture, you know, why you know, why we're doing this and, and, and what the plan is, Jesse, I got a little off track there, but I think that was important to say. No, definitely. And for those who want to learn more about SUMA, there will be a conference coming up on November 22nd online, the Kinvestor Battery Metals and Mining Conference, which will be hosted by myself and Gwen Preston from Resource Maven. So again, that's November 22nd at 9 a.m. The registration link will be on SUMA's Twitter. uh, So I'm going to put a link to that below. It'll be on my Twitter, which is also there. So do follow us both uh, so you can stay up to date and, and hear a more detailed presentation on the company. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Galen, and uh, I, I hope to have you on again to continue the conversation. Of course. Thanks very much, Jesse. Great to talk to you. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.